Does your pastor's office have bulletproof glass? How do you preach in the shadow of a celebrity pastor and in a celebrity pastor culture? Stepping into the lead role of a large church. How many Sundays a year should a pastor preach? The unique journey of being self-trained in teaching the Bible. The beauty of a church who creates room for you to grow as a pastor and then launches you out. And why did I choose the book of Hebrews for my first sermon series? In this episode, we have a conversation with Darren McWaters, senior pastor at EV Free Fullerton. Hey everybody, welcome to the Teaching Pastor Podcast. We are in the office of the senior pastor of EV Free Fullerton, Darren McWaters. How are you, Darren? I'm well. That's such a fancy title. Senior? Yeah. You know what's cool about this office, by the way? The, the, the windows behind you are yes. bulletproof glass. Bulletproof. Because apparently, well, so here's a little history. <laughs> apparently in the past, there were people who wanted to kill the senior pastor of this church. Well, that, how about that? <laughs> I So far, nobody's taken a shot at me. Nobody, but... It's nice to know just in case. I think we should put it to the test. I, I mean, mean, have you ever, how do you know they're actually I, bulletproof? Somebody just told me that. So maybe after we're done recording, you can go outside with a, with a pistol. Did you bring a gun? You know, I actually did not. I'm not packing any heat today. Right, so not today. Know, maybe on another occasion. That would be a good video show for you. Like if you decide to move from the audio podcast yeah. to the video world, video world, it could be shooting bullets at pastors. At pastors through pastors. See windows. what kind of windows. Oh my gosh, have. that is that is a story. That's did they did they mention that in the in the job so interview? Here's what's really funny. This is not even what you want to talk about. But no, this is not exactly what I want to talk about. Not in the interview, but check this out. On my first week on the job, they're like, "Okay, you're going to have a, a one hour." Security briefing. So there's like a like an official security team here, yeah. or whatever. With and guys like packing. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not so, like tasers, but actual no, they, heat. There are dudes at our church carrying guns on Sunday morning. Awesome. Um, is that they, in the bulletin? Uh, no, no, they don't advertise <laughs> it. And actually, gosh, this would be a whole other thing. But I went. They wanted me to go watch them do their because they have to qualify every three months. They qualify on their weapons. Okay. Okay. So I went to one of their qualifications at the shooting range. It was like Saturday morning, uh, a couple of months ago. And uh, it's, pr- it's pretty cool to watch the way the thing goes down, except they do one, like, hostage, um, like, a hostage thing where they have, like, a target where there's, like, a guy in the center and then, like, a bad guy kind of over his okay. shoulder. And right. they have to draw their weapon and shoot the bad guy, like, three times okay. and not hit the hostage. The hostage dies every time. Every time. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, awesome. well... I do guess... they, like, hang a little sign on and say, yeah, pastor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a cross. <laughs> yeah. He's got a cross. Yeah, bad guy. Yeah, bad so... guy. I, I don't know that I feel very confident, but in that security briefing, they sort of walked me through all the different ways that people might try to kill me, and I thought, this would have been interesting information before I took the job. Wow. But, wow. You know, whatever. That's like that's like hand, being handed the nuclear codes. You yeah. Know. It, was, it felt a lot like that. Like, wow. now you need to know that in the case of an yes. active shooter, this is what happens, this is where you go. And, okay, so they actually said to me in this meeting, they said, if, a, if an active shooter ever came into the offices up here... Your responsibility, Darren, is to go into... I have a little bathroom in my office. Okay. They said, your job is to go into that bathroom and lock the door and stay in there until the security team comes and gets you out. And I was like, no way. <laughs> no way. I'm never doing that. And they're like, you have to. And I said, no. I said, I'm going to go hide in the bathroom while all the uh, the rest of our staff is getting killed? Yeah. I'm, I'm what about heroics? Right. I was like, I would rather go down there and get my head blown off You're too important. to rescue You're, somebody else. You're too important. Nonsense. <laughs> that, but that is the thinking. That is the thinking. They think, 
they think I have to be saved at all costs. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not that important. I'm yeah. not essential to this. Yeah. So they were very frustrated with me that I did not agree to lock yeah. myself in the bathroom. Yeah. But, I, you know, I would have to live that, that next day after the slaughter of my entire staff. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to come back in here. And at I'd, least you've thought about it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. No way, dude. I'm dying up by the by the check-in desk. That's that's where it, that's where it's at. Yes, well, well, that's uh, the security guy, and I mean, he is he isn't even leaving the room today. I mean, he's in the corner. No, right? he's watching you. Yeah, that's he's good. That's you. good. No sudden movements. Okay, so let's talk about. I mean, your journey to this place, to mm-hmm. this office. I mean, how how is being the senior pastor at EV Free different from being the lead singer of Everybody Duck? <laughs> well, less people want. To- Kill me now. So I think more people wanted to kill This is all going to be about murder. This is the murder episode That's right. of the Teaching Pastor Podcast. Um, how is it different than being the lead singer? There are so many ways. I'm sure. Um, I it, It's been really cool. So I've been here for nine months. Yeah. And it's, um, it's moment by moment, it's either absolutely uh, overwhelming and terrifying. And like, uh, you know, there, there are certainly days where I look at my wife and I'm like, Am, are we, am I really doing this? Are we really doing this? Like, what? How? Who did we trick? Like, we tricked somebody along the way, and they let us do this job. Um, but then, and then there are these other moments where God has just confirmed it so clearly, and there's so much joy. And even in, even in some of the things that are hard, there's just real, like real joy in it. You know, that joy's not always synonymous with easy. You know, a lot of times it's rarely. It's yeah. It, it's like you no. Know, th- these are these are tough things to wrestle through. But they're fun, you know, and, and God is in them, and we can I can see His fingerprints on stuff. So, it's been it's been really good. Um, the nice thing, the difference between this and being in the band is I don't have to travel all over the country, so I yeah. just have to stay put. Which that's is nice. true. That's nice. So okay, let's talk about calling to the lead spot. Yeah. Because you've been you were at Rock Harbor. Yeah. Um, you were at Arbor Road. Yes. And before that, up at Hume. Yeah. Um. So, so at those spots. Uh, like let's just say Arbor Road. How many times a year were you in the pulpit then? So Brent Eldridge, who's the lead pastor there, and I were splitting the teaching about half and half. So I was teaching about twenty five Sundays a okay. year at Arbor Road, um, and that was uh, that was great. Actually, the, the pacing and the like that was such a great season for me at Arbor Road. It's a great church, um, but it was such a great season for me to be able to kind of watch. Um, what Brent was doing from a distance, but not have to not have to sit in that chair. Right. You know? um, I was teaching frequently, but not every week. So then I've also got long spaces in which to prepare for. You know, I would know. I know the whole year's schedule in advance. Yeah. Like not only when I'm teaching, but what texts I'm teaching. And so I can look way down the road and go, okay, well, in three weeks I'm going to do two weeks in a row, and they're both going to be in Acts. You know, and, and I, so I had lots of time to prep and. Um, that was a really cool pace, yeah. and it was also that that like like a multiplicity or that pluralism of teaching yeah. is really healthy for a church because yeah. it takes the central focus off of one guy. One voice. Like, nobody that's at Arbor Road thinks, "Oh, this is Brent Eldridge's church," or "Oh, this is Darren McWatters' church." Right. They think, "Oh, this is Jesus's church," that's and right. these guys work here. And so um, that was a it was really healthy and really fun. Yeah. So um, now that you're now here yeah. at EV Free. Like, what, how many weeks a year would be your, like, sweet spot? Good. Um, well, I, I mean, to be honest with you, I would love to get it to a place where it feels like that, where I'm teaching maybe 30 a year. Mm-hmm. And those other those other 22, I wouldn't be gone. Like, I wouldn't be on vacation 22 or teaching right. in other places. But I'd just be here. I'd just right. be present. And maybe I'm... 
Maybe I'm sitting in an adult fellowship or a community group. Maybe I'm hanging out with the special needs ministry or I'm teaching in the middle school. Or like, I would love to just be present yeah. to, to emphasize to our people, like, I'm not the most important voice. And I'm, and I'm, not, the, I'm not the only voice that matters here. Right. And so, now, interestingly, when I started the job, the elders said, well, we'd like you to teach. I think their first request was they wanted me to do... 45 Sundays a year. 45. So they wanted me to do, like, to carry it. Except yeah. they were going to give me some vacation weeks and whatever. And <laughs> that's, I not, said, that's nice. They were just being cool. They were being cool about it. We're going to let you have a couple weeks off. Um, and I came back and said, philosophically, I don't think that's healthy for our church. I, I want to get to a place where it's less than that. So it was literally one of those negotiations where they went, you know, 45, and I went, how about 32? And they said, you know, how about 42? And I said, how about, you know. Yeah. So we settled at 37 for this first year. Okay. And I'm on pace. I'll, I'll hit that before we even get to the year. Um, but the plan then in my second year here would be to, to walk that back okay. even a little bit more. So this gives me time right now. I mean, the pace is a lot is a lot faster here. I'm having to, I'm teaching more regularly than I was in Long Beach. But it's giving me time to assess who are the guys on staff that have teaching gifts, right. who are the people in our congregation that may not even be vocational ministers. There might, there's a guy in our church who's a, he's a PE teacher in an elementary school and he's, he's a gifted teacher. Yeah. And that's a guy I'd love to raise mm-hmm. up, you know, and mm-hmm. have him teach on Sunday morning. There's, uh, we've got, we've got some college profs here. We've got some, there's other people with teaching gifts that I want to sort of get into the rotation yeah. and kind of figure out who else is around. So yeah. um, that's been fun. And because I'm new, I don't immediately. I didn't immediately know who those people were, right, right. and sometimes you can't trust the recommendations of others. So I could right. go, "Oh, who's a great teacher?" and they'd recommend somebody, and I'd go listen to it and go, "Yeah, no, we mean different things by that." So, okay, <laughs> or trust the people who raise their hand and say, "Oh, I know." Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. That's <laughs> you, you can't. Yeah, a lot of times the ones who volunteer the fastest are not necessarily the right. best ones. So. It's going to take a little while for yeah. things to kind of even out in that way. But I'd love to get it down to about 30. That's yeah, it does I'm seem like the the cultural moment of the the guy who, or the senior pastor who teaches 45, 50 times a year uh, is past. Yeah, I think so. I although, think so. although this was one of those places. Well, the legacy here, yeah. for sure. And that's, you know, I mean, I... I'm functioning all the time in the shadow of Chuck Swindoll yeah. and Dale Burke and even Mike Erie to some degree, who all three of those guys were um, in some ways kind of celebrity pastors. Swindoll, of course, at the, at the, you know, the most premier uh, picture of that, but this, that's what this church is used to. You know? And so it's yeah. funny, on the Sundays yeah. this year where I'm not preaching, but I'm sitting in the third row or I'm sitting in the back or what, you know, my wife and I are just enjoying a worship service, right. I will have people turn around to me and go, are you sick? You know, and I'm like, no, I feel great. And they're like, well, why did, what's going on? You know? And I'm like, I don't, I don't have to be the one to teach. Have so you had a moral failing? Are you in the process like, oh, of restoration? So sorry about your gambling problem. You know, whatever. Um, yeah, they don't, they don't know how to process it. Yeah. They, and so that's a, so it's a cultural shift. <clears throat> correct. That you are going to be um, spearheading. And that's why kind of long and slow, yeah. lots yeah. of communication is the best way. Yeah. Cause I don't want it to feel abrupt and I don't want it to feel like, this is just my cool idea. Yeah. Like I want them to sort of, I want the, the dynamic of the church to change. Yeah. And we're already doing that in some ways, even with the way we do music on Sundays. Like um, when I came in, they didn't have a, like a head worship pastor, which this church has always had. Huh. And I said, I don't, I don't want to hire a, a big name head celebrity worship pastor. I'd like to have a team of seven or eight different people mm-hmm. who will bring different styles and different approaches. Right. And let's kind of rotate those through. And, 
it's been really fun because you, you kind of come in and you start to see the reality that worship is a lot broader than like right. one style or, or one approach, which, right. is, which is fun. So. And it is this is an interesting way of thinking about, even for the listeners, to think about how teaching and philosophy of teaching affects every everything. Yes, Everything. Right. And that's trying right. to get at this kind of new collaborative yes. movement, yes. which I think is, is probably a really healthy movement rather than these major figureheads. Yeah, well, it takes the attention off. I mean, again, I think it's so vital that nobody who attends this church, whether they're here for a week or they're here for years and years, that they ever think of it as being my church, but yeah. that they always think of it as being Jesus' church. Mm. You know, that is the thing that I want to repeat again mm. and again and again because the reality is I'm a broken guy. You know, like, I, sooner or later, I will prove it. You give me enough time and I will prove it to you that, I, that I'm a sinner, you know, that I'm... That I'm a, you know, that I've got, I've got things to work on, and when I do, if you put all your eggs in, if your faith's in me, mm-hmm. then when I prove to you that I'm a broken guy right. who needs to be redeemed, then where, what happens to your faith, you know? But if your faith is in Christ, it kind of doesn't matter when the pastor, yeah. you know, has a has a weak moment or whatever, or is a weak guy generally. You right. know, it, it all sort of it all right. sort of levels out. Yeah. Well, I was going to start the interview, the the podcast with, um, what does it feel like to be the next Chuck Swindoll? <laughs> Yeah. But I figured, you know, I it I don't was great. Yeah. I'm, I'm rich. I'm so rich. It is awesome. I'm trying to write books, but I don't really have anything to say. Yeah. So I don't know. It's that, not going to work out. Exactly. Well, it is. I it's it's um, it's awesome to think about even the journey of this church, your journey. I think one of the things that is, um, I think one thing that I love about you, Darren, is well, one I love smart people. Smart people are awesome. I love smart people. My my wife's like, what does this have to do with yeah, me? I will. I was Kelly's like, you probably shouldn't say that that loud, you know. Like, um, but in the sense of like, um, so I'm a seminary professor, right. and um, but you, in a lot of ways, are self trained yes. in this, and so I I would love to hear about kind of what are the what have been kind of the formative training things, like what you know, is it just is it library? Like, what are the things that are that are driving your training or have driven your training? Good. And how does that work? How does that work for you? Good. Okay. So to try and do that briefly, like I, when I gave my life to Jesus at seventeen, I was I was between my junior and senior years when I became a Christian, and I I said, hey, I'll go wherever you want to go, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm not going to make a five year plan even. I'm just ready to go. And uh, and I didn't when I signed up for college. I, I, they were like, what are you going to study? Do you want to be a missionary? And I was like, sure. You know, they're like, no, you're supposed to know. Do you have a calling? You know, I was like, I do. I have a calling to serve Jesus. And, um, so my degree is like super generic. I have a degree in Christian ministry with a, I think it's like a youth counseling emphasis, whatever, because I genuinely didn't know where God was going to call me. But what I realized, and where, where was that? That was at Southwestern college of the Bible, which is at the time was the only accredited, Bible college in Phoenix. Okay. I didn't have any money, so I took out loans for the entire cost awesome. of my college, um, and I only I paid those off last year. Okay. So that's I just finished up <laughs> four, with that. Four kids later. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah. So that was a good moment. Um, but I I went to Southwestern. That school is now called Arizona Christian University. Okay. Um, but I went there, um, started the band, which you mentioned before. I was in a band called Everybody Duck. And what was interesting is um, I love to read. I've always loved yeah. to read. I love to learn, but I'm not necessarily the best classroom guy. So like, um, I, I tend to, um, I tend to sort of buck against the, like, write the paper because I told you to, and that sort of thing. Like, I want to know the stuff, but I'm not great at, at like 
classroom learning really. But because we were in the band and we're traveling all over, I had tons of time to read. Yeah. So when I finished college, I'm filling out seminary applications. I'm sitting in a truck stop in Maine, um, and one of my mentors and a friend, a pastor, I'm, I asked him to fill out a reference for me. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what is this? And I said, well, it's a, it's a seminary application. I need a reference. You know, I'm, I'm applying to a couple seminaries. And he goes, so let me get this right. He goes, you're, you're traveling the country. You're sharing the gospel, what, 300 nights a year? And I said, yeah, because we were, we were traveling yeah. a lot. And he says, you're sharing the gospel 300 nights a year. And he goes, if I understand correctly, you're going to press pause on that ministry in order to go and learn how to do ministry. Is that right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, Why? And I said, because that's what you do. You go to Bible college. I got my bachelor's degree. Now I'm ready to go to seminary. And he goes, dude, he goes, you read more than anybody I know. You're in a van traveling from St. Louis to Kansas City every day. He goes, just get the books. Just read the books. He goes, you've got tons of friends who went to college with you that are yeah. going to seminary. Get their book list, buy the books, and read in the van and do it on the road. And I said, well, the problem with that is that I wouldn't have the piece of paper at the end. Mm -hmm. And he goes do you care about the piece of paper? Because you don't really seem like you care about it. And I was like, I don't care about the mm -hmm. piece of paper. Good point. But down the road, there are other people who will. Like, they're, and, you know, I mean, this is a good example. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, because here at EV Free, I mean, you've got, you've got some of your professors yeah, it's a in, the, in the uh I was shocked. When, when they, so when, when this whole process, when they called me and said, your name has been submitted as a potential senior pastor candidate. Would you be willing to be considered? And I, we prayed about it, and I came back and said, sure. So they sent me the profile. Okay. And I thought, I will, like that week, I thought I'll be able to tell them, you don't actually want me, take my name off your list, because I knew it would be in their list right. that they right. wanted somebody with a seminary degree, if not a doctorate. Yeah. And interestingly enough, in their senior pastor profile, they required a bachelor's degree, and they said it would be great if you had... A seminary degree wow. or a doctorate. Wow! But it was worded like this is this is our requirement. These other things would be preferences. Yeah. And so then I called the search firm back and I said, Hey, for what it's worth, just early out here in the process, let me tell you, I don't have a seminary degree. And uh, he was like, Okay, well, I'll I'll make sure the search firm knows that, you know. Mm -hmm. And it just never okay never came. And so I'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. But. I basically decided not to do seminary. Mm -hmm. um, I did get the book lists, you know, and right. I. And so my, my friends who were in seminary, I go, what are you reading? I buy the books, take them on the road, and I just kind of did seminary while touring the country, um, but I don't have the piece of paper. Okay. And then for me, what that did is it established sort of a, just a way of living, which is I'm reading all the time. Right. I've always, I'm always grabbing new things. It's become harder and harder to find new things that I really love. Yeah. Like there's so much junk out there. Oh gosh! So I've kind of set a policy that like if I don't love a book in the first three chapters, I don't finish. I'm not a guy who finishes every book. Got it. Um, but that that's sort of the, been my my method. And then with the once technology kind of jumped in. Yeah. So about the time I moved to Hugh Lake in 2000, podcasting. Um, the internet, being able to listen to sermons online, being able to read, you know, like that, that just sort of opened up a whole new world right. because then I'm able to, then I'm able to even broaden my perspective more with regard to what's out there and what's being said and what, what what's some of the current good thinking. Right. And so it's, it's always been kind of a, a, a treasure hunt for me yeah. and I'm kind of always on the hunt for new, new things. So. Yeah. What were some of the things um, in, I mean, if you think about even if you didn't go to seminary, you probably had kind of a formative training period right. of life, right. uh, of your of your ministry life. Like, what were some of the things that you felt were most formative in that? 
period. Specifically with regard to teaching? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So I will say, like, like one of the most pivotal moments in my life was a, a conversation I had at Hume Lake in 1997. We were leading worship at Hume. Yeah. And uh, I felt, I'd never been to Hume Lake before. I grew up in Arizona. Right. So that was my first summer at Hume. I fell in love with it. And I, I remember just thinking, like, someday my music isn't going to be relevant anymore. And so I sat down um, with uh, one of the guys on staff, who was, like, the assistant executive director at the time. And I said, hey, someday I'd love to work at Hume. And I could, I, could, I could write original music. I could hire bands. I could do publishing contracts. I could do, I mean, I would just be, like, like staff musician. You yeah. Know? And he looked at me across the table. It didn't even take him very long. He looked at me across the table and he goes... Someday we'll hire you to work here, but when we do, he goes, don't take this the wrong way, but he goes, we won't hire you to do music. He says, you're using music to teach. Your gift is teaching and preaching. And he says, you use music like some guys use a chalkboard or some guys use a whiteboard or puppets or whatever. You know, like there's all kinds of vehicles. Puppets. He says, puppets is a good... Which I consider. Yeah. Um, he, goes, he goes, when I hire you, I'll, I'll want to move the middleman out of the way. He goes, no offense, your music's great. But that isn't that isn't your gift, uh, and it was like this. It was a prophetic. Wow! Like he spoke it over me, and I didn't even understand it. Like uh, it kind of it kind of ticked me off at the time. Yeah. Because here I am, the singer in a signed band. We got a record contract. We're touring the country. Dove nominated. Don't, yeah. Don't tell me I'm not a singer. Like I, I literally am a singer. And but what I realized is every song I'd written was a sermon. You know, like every concert was a gospel opportunity. You know, like I was using music to do. I mean, exactly what he said. And that moment literally is is a turning point where from that moment on I did less and less music and more and more teaching to the point where now I do almost no music yeah. and I'm teaching a lot. So, yeah. so that was a very formative. And then and in that very same conversation, he said, I'd like you to teach for winter camp next year. He like, so my first public teaching opportunity, like at, away from the band, was at Hume Lake for a winter camp. For a camp, camp speaker. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just been like a snowball from there. So um, I eventually ended up on full-time staff at Hume, mm-hmm. and uh, I was running the Joshua Institute. But when I transitioned out of that leadership into like more program oversight, we, there was a little church at Hume Lakes, like a little staff church, and they needed somebody to teach weekly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started teaching every week at the at the Hume Church, like a little. Yeah. It's almost like a glorified Bible study, and really fell in love with local church you know it's it it, that's a weird addition of it but really fell in love with what it looks like to just open god's word with people Mm -hmm. every week to be in life with them so that when we felt called away from him there was no question we were going to go into local church ministry yeah like i never looked at another camp i never looked Mm -hmm. at another parachurch thing i didn't think about going into the music business it was like no i want to be in a a neighborhood church teaching god's word on a regular basis Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that time at the Hume Church was formative mm-hmm. for me. Um, and then when I left Hume, it was interesting because we had lots of job offers from places that were like, come and be our senior pastor. Okay. But I didn't know the first thing about pastoral ministry, nothing, because I'd been in parachurch my whole life. Mm-hmm. All I knew how to do was teach. Mm-hmm. And they were offering me jobs based on my teaching skill, mm-hmm. but I couldn't have conducted a funeral. I couldn't mm-hmm. have run an elder meeting. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have, I mean, I couldn't have done any of the really important stuff that pastors need to do as shepherds. So Britt Eldridge in Long Beach said, come to Long Beach. We know what you know, and we know what you don't. Okay. We'll fill in the gaps, and maybe you'll be here at our church for the rest of your life, or maybe this will be a training period that will raise you up for the next spot. So I will also say that my time at Arbor Road was 
incredible to fill in the gaps of pastoral ministry yeah. with things that I hadn't seen in parachurch. Oh, that's awesome. That's I mean that is that is a, that is one of the best organic training stories I think I've ever heard <laughs> encountered. <laughs> and it's but the thing is it's beautiful. Like where seminary is is this well carve out three ish years of your life and as a season of preparation and that's a very Traditionally, like there are, you can make a case biblically for seasons of preparation. You bet. But the idea of systematizing it, and even the idea where this podcast has come from, is like, well, I'm doing this because I don't think there's a place in seminary where this conversation takes place. Right. Where, and we haven't even gotten from passage to message yet, but just talking right. about sorry about no no no, it's, it's, yeah. this is this is great because I do think that there there are a lot of people out there right now who are asking the question. Should I go to seminary? Right. And I'm a seminary prof, and that's been my path for training, and it's been a very nourishing place for me. Right. But that's not been your path for for training. And yet, here we are, friends, and having this conversation, and I think that there's a a great beauty in that. But at the same time, I think sometimes people don't want to go to seminary because they don't want to do the work. That's absolutely right. Well, I'll tell you that in, so I mean, how long now I've been doing, you know, ministry since... I mean, we started touring with the band and I graduated from college in 96. So that decision for me to not do seminary was, was made in 96, Mm -hmm. 97. And in, so what, that's 30 years, 30 years. I've never once said to somebody, don't go to seminary ever because I've not at this point, I've not met anybody that was in the exact same spot I was with the right. same kind of... Because if, you, if you're not passionate about reading the books, mm-hmm. and if you won't do that on your own, then you kind of... Mm-hmm. You just you just wreck yourself. Yeah. You know, if you went, well, I don't need seminary, that, right. that would be a misunderstanding. Right. Um, it only worked for me because I was in a van every day for 12 hours, yeah. and I could easily do... And I, and I did read yeah. the books, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, it's funny that even though I don't have the piece of paper, <clears throat> um, I, I really love... Yeah, what that represents, right. and, and I, I mean, I, yeah, I've never said to somebody, ah, oh, you don't really need it. Yeah, that's that's good. I have this thing where I tell people, look, you can do, you'll if you don't if you want to do ministry, but you don't want to put the work in for training and whatnot, you've got three years. You can do anything for one year on adrenaline. You can do anything for a year on right. adrenaline. The second year, it starts. You start to realize, oh my gosh, I was running on adrenaline that first year, <laughs> and now you either are treading water. Yeah. Or, or you're beginning to sink, and then year three, the wheels come off. Yeah, I mean that's been that's that's my experience with people who are like, I don't need I don't need training, I don't need seminary. And the hard thing is, there are churches who will use you for those use those three years, right? And they will take your talent and they will use it, um, but they won't be like an Arbor Road who will be like, look, we you might be here for the rest of your life, but we also know that you can be trained. We can fill in gaps. And we can do it really intentionally and lovingly, and then we can launch you like a great seed. Yeah, that kingdom mindset that yeah. goes, well, the, the, the work of God's kingdom is bigger than just what's happening on this piece of property. Yeah. That's that's pretty rare, because most of the time you find you find people wanting to just sort of build their empire. And so, you know, I, I didn't just leave Arbor Road once, I left Arbor Road twice, because there is that period <laughs> right. in the middle that's right. where I went to Rock Harbor for two years, and they, they blessed me in that. And then they invited me back after two years with open arms. Mm-hmm. And then they blessed me as I came to be free. In fact, at my installation service here, like the whole lead team and a couple of the elders from so Arbor Road came over and stood on the stage with the elders from EB Free. So awesome. You know, I mean, it was incredible. I can't, that is, 
That pumps me up yeah. so much. It was really fun. That's really cool. That is really cool. All right, well, let's talk. Let's then talk about the Darren McWater secret sauce. Okay. Like, yeah. Because it's, it's probably a, a, a different sauce that, I don't know. I mean, the, the interesting, I, I'm really curious about. So let's, let's talk about you. You picked Hebrews. Yeah. As, <laughs> I just wanted people to know I was serious. Yeah, you know? well, that's the way to do it. I mean, I did my doctoral work at Hebrews, and it was like, Somebody else picked Hebrew. Oh man! So I your love first, first. I know. Okay, so your first series here right. at EV Free is is the book of Hebrews. How did you land on the book of Hebrews? Good. So, well, that's a great question. I actually the first series I did was in Exodus, and it was okay. short, and I only did the first fifteen chapters. Okay. I wanted to talk in Exodus. I wanted to talk about um, about the call of God, okay. obedience to the call of God, mm-hmm. leaving a place and going to another place, okay. and what that looks like. Not only for the sake of talking literally about my transition from Arbor Road mm-hmm. to EV Free, but also because our church is right. is a little beat up and there's a little bit of woundedness. Like there's some pain in the last, honestly, like in the last eight years yeah. of this church. There's a lot of kind of you know tumultuous times, I guess. And I wanted to talk about what does it look like to follow God out of that mm-hmm. into his promise, you know, into, you know, the things he's called us to. So we did this little thing in Exodus, yeah. only through the first 15 chapters, okay. and it was super fun. I love Old Testament. I love narrative. Um, those are all really fun. And I don't know that people, I think people sometimes discount the Old Testament as, as being like Sunday school stories. Yeah. Um, and it's so relevant and yeah. so beautiful. So yeah. coming out of Exodus, I'm thinking, okay, what do I want to do in the, you know, in this next year? And, um, it would I feel like it would have been cliche to do a gospel. I don't know why. I just wasn't excited about doing, you know, John or whatever. I love John, and we may do that in a couple of years. Which is another awesome thing I like about you, Darren. <laughs> Even in the notes that I send is like, so Darren, you're would you call yourself an iconoclast? <laughs> anyway, we'll no, get we right, can get right. back to that. But right. so you didn't choose a gospel? Yeah, because it, that felt like. Oh, of course. Or like Sermon on the Mount. You know, like I could have I could have done Sermon. But isn't that just sort of what you expect? And I. Because we've been in Exodus, I've been in Hebrews so much. Like, you can't... So much of that is the same. And I thought, man, how fun to go out of an Old Testament study into a New Testament study that you really can't get your arms around unless you... Unless you pay attention to the Old Testament. Hebrews is like Hebrews is like Exodus for the New Testament. That's right. Yeah. And because so much of what I'm saying philosophically to our church is... In order to lean into the future, we have to be anchored in the past. Okay. You cannot turn your back on the past. You can't turn your back on the legacy and pretend like it doesn't matter. you got to anchor yourself in, in all of the great things God has done so that you have an anchor through which to lean as far as you can into to the press next chapter. Forward, right? And Hebrews is all about that, yes. too. It, it's so much about, like, this is where we come from, yeah. but that was a shadow and a copy. Yeah. You know, that wasn't the reality. Now, these aren't the things that God desires. Right. These are the things yeah. God desires. And so it's it's been really awesome. I knew that it would be theologically daunting. I knew that there's a lot in Hebrews that gets tangled up and, and has to be sort of untangled. Right. And I also knew that in a 35-minute message, in any given text, unless I took the next five years to go through Hebrews, right. in any given text, I was going to have to be making the choice to to not get bogged down right. in the arguments because there's lots of arguments. Yeah. There's so lots that, of arguments. that was a, that was the next this next question is so how did you figure what passages to preach are you are you doing thematic or are you going <laughs> passage by passage That's a great question. You know what I did? This might seem like a cheat. Here's part of the special sauce. I cheat a little bit. Okay. Um, I actually went and looked. So I have, I have preachers that I love, 
And one of the things I did is I was praying through how do I want to organize it because I went and looked at ways other guys have structured theirs in the past. Um, just to understand some of their thinking. Like, right. how, well, how did they break it down and why? Um, and then what I ended up doing was kind of creating a Frankenstein. And that's not exactly what, but I, I created something fresh. Yeah. I mean, all art is a reinterpretation of things that have come before, right? So I'm going to claim it was artistic. But yeah. you, I went and looked at what... Um, like what Kent Hughes had done, or what Alistair Begg had done, yeah. or I look, I saw a series by, um, I think Sproul had done a series mm -hmm. that I really liked in Hebrews, and so I just looked at the way they broke it up, yeah. and and I kind of had that in my head, and then I went to the text and went, yeah, okay, here yeah. are the ways I want to break it up. Plus, I also, this is probably also like lame, but I knew I wanted to finish in May, okay. so I knew I wanted yeah. to start in September, I wanted to finish in May, I wanted to take a couple of weeks at Christmas and Easter. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, yeah. I organized it based on how many Sundays do I have. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's not quite as spiritual necessarily. I, well, I don't, I mean, if strategic is spiritual, then that's okay. spiritual. I mean, it, you, you can't, I mean, can you, there are passages in Hebrews, and I've always, this has been one of those things. I love, I love the idea of going through a whole book verse by verse. But at the same time, Sunday morning, you want, you're trying to accomplish certain things and you want passages to speak. And there's always the cutting room floor. There's got to be things that are left in and things that get cut out. You, you're, not, you're not preaching a commentary right? And, um, or a critical commentary at that. So you've got to pick things that go out. I've always thought about the idea perhaps of like doing a podcast of the things, the cutting room floor. That gets left that out. Things that things that don't make it in. Because somebody, people might want to know how you would deal with that passage. Right. But you can't go into like four views on eternal security right. on a Sunday morning necessarily. Yeah. You've got to pick one and go with, you've got to right. go with your thing. So, well, and it's been funny, even like just a couple weeks ago in Hebrews, um, at the beginning of chapter nine, he, he the, or I say he, the author. Right, the author. Writes, um, I get that I'm presuming a lot by right. assigning a gender. But um, the author says... You know, there were the candlesticks, and there's the altar of incense, and there's the. the he gives right. all these things, and then he says in like verse four or five, he goes, "But we don't have time to talk about these things right now." <laughs> and I love it, and I actually mentioned it to the people. Yeah. I was like, "It's funny that he's listing off these things, and there's even some question about his sequence, right? And, or even where he's getting all this right. stuff. Like, what, <laughs> what exactly does he mean?" And then he himself goes, "But let's not get bogged down here." Yeah. And I love that yeah. because he's saying, "Look, I want you, to, I want you to get this overarching picture." Right. Don't get too hung up on these things. Yeah. You know, it's interesting then that commentators will spend twenty pages right, bogged down in those right, things. You know, right. but um, yeah. that I always try to acknowledge it with people. So if That's I'm great. if I'm gonna leave something on the cutting room floor, I will typically say something like, "Now this verse can be a point of contention. We don't spend too much time there, but if you want to do further research, yeah. go and look at what that word means, or yeah. go and look at what they say about this particular section, so that people can do that extra if they want." And they also don't feel like I'm editing things I don't want to do, right, you know, because right. that's always the fear too. Is oh, right. I skip the hard part. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm tackling some of the hard parts, yeah. but I but I don't want ever people to think, well, I'm just going to go for the the, the, the low hanging part. fruit. That's right. That's he, right. He's past their low hanging fruit. Yeah. No. No. That's that well. That that's good. So, okay. So when you are into a text in yeah. Hebrews, what are you using? Like what translations? What uh, what are you using to look at the text? Do you have paper, bu paper Bible? Are you using software? How are you accessing original language? Like what's what's your sauce on that? Good. Okay. So my my um, my sauce is 
Um, I use I, I actually don't use a paper Bible at all anymore. Okay. So even for my personal Bible reading, I'm using my iPad. That's what I teach out of. I'm using ESV. That's what I that's what I read devotionally. It's what I read. It's what I teach out of. Okay. I'm in ESV almost all the time. Um, I do have a tab set up on my computer that gets me to the King James pretty quick, only because it's referenced with with Strong's, and I can okay. and I can find I can find words really quick. Um, so I, as weird as that seems, I do use the King James a little. And part of that is because that's the way I started doing it. Way, but I mean, okay. back in the day, it was like the big concordance of you know Greek words and whatever. I think um, I'm going to title this this podcast. Uh, Darren McWater is, is a King James only guy. Yeah, do that. Yeah, do that. See, see what that does. See what for that us. does. Yeah. <laughs> but so I always, I mean, literally the first two days of sermon prep for me are just meditation on the passage. Yeah. So I I will um, if I'm going to try and do it in a week. Then I preach a sermon on Sunday morning, and Sunday night I'm reading the text for next week. I know it already because I've said it in advance. I already I kind of know the context of to teach Hebrews. I have to know what's come before, and I have to know what comes after because yeah. it's so cyclical. Yeah. But with any text, I'm, I know what's coming up. But I Sunday night I'm in the text, and then all day Monday I'm in the text and I'm just reading it. Okay. I'm reading. I'm trying to think about what does the Spirit of God say to me. Yeah. Out of the text, and I'm not really doing anything else. I mean, that's like the like I, I kind of just want to stew. Talking about sauce, yeah. The base yeah. of my sauce, the bouillon of yeah. my sauce, is I'm just reading the text, right. rereading the text, and reading it again, and that's seeing it. what stands out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and literally, what do I feel like? What do I feel like God is encouraging me with? Mm-hmm. What do I feel like God is kind of poking me with? Mm-hmm. Where am I getting jabbed a little mm-hmm. bit by this? What are the things in the text that I don't get? Yeah. What are the things in the text that I, I'm confused about? Why the author even bothered saying them? Right. Um, just all, like, how does it impact me personally? Because I want to teach, like, for me, the teachers that have the greatest impact upon me throughout my life are the guys who, they just seem like regular guys who love God's Word and love Jesus, and and they're fine with going, yeah, some of this makes me mad, or some of this yeah. I'm confused by, or whatever. Um, to me, the yeah. simplicity and the transparency of that is really moving. So I want to have those things in my pocket before I ever write a sermon. Yeah. And that's that the idea of actually like having an authentic modeling an actual authentic reaction to God's word. Right. I think gives gives your congregation a chance to say, no, this passage made me mad. Right. And like I'm I I know I'm supposed to not be mad at God, but but this passage pissed me off. Yeah. Like that is a legitimate authentic reaction to God's word. Now you might not say it in that way, but but at the same time, why not? Yeah. This is if this is how we're in, encountering God's word, then why would we not model that? Right. And what what I'm trying to do is I'm is I'm hoping that over time what happens mm-hmm. is people go, I don't need this guy. I don't need this guy to get up in front. Right. Like what he did that's exactly what it says on the page. Like right. he just reiterated what it says on the page. I can do that at my kitchen table. Yeah. Not that they would not be part of the body, right. but that again they wouldn't be dependent on my voice. Right. Um, so it's fun to model, like, no, just read the text. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's created to be understood. God, if God wanted to give us something that couldn't be understood, he could have done that. <laughs> Hebrews um, might be the closest thing to that. <laughs> right, right. But, but he gave it to us to be, yeah. to, to reveal something of who he is. Yeah. And so I trust in the fact that, I, you know, he'll reveal himself. Yeah. That. So, so that's, that's where I start. Um, you want me to talk about... The sequence, or now here. Okay. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. So, in you are it is you are not above being able to hit Greek in your no, sermon yeah, too. No. So, um, so how, where in your training, in your personal training, like how did you acquire that skill? Good. And and how are you accessing um, Greek 
on um, in your in your prep time. Good, that's good. Okay, so for me, the way it got added in my training is you real. I mean, if you're studying the Bible for very long, you realize all of a sudden that there are words that there there are words you're going to look at and go, why that? Like, what does that word even mean? Like, what is he getting at? And you realize that there's not always a good English translation. You know that a lot of times when they're translating it into English, they're doing their best to encapsulate like three sentences in Greek yeah, and they're right. trying to put it in one word and you're like, um, I, that doesn't, that doesn't do it. And so early on, I mean, like I said, it was a, it was a concordance and mm-hmm. it was the, you know, the numbers in yeah. the corner and you're having to do all, you're flipping through. Right. Software has saved my bacon. Absolutely. Um, because now I can, I can spend, I can go down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. in original languages or even do further research like, um, there's a, there's a lot of really fun ways to kind of just dig and dig yeah. and dig. I read I end up reading a lot of stuff. Like I have a couple of tabs on my um, on my Chrome browser that are for like <laughs> they're for Christian traditions that I'm not a part of. Things okay. that I have like strong strong theological differences with. Yeah. But I'll go and read some of their work absolutely on the original language, even just to understand like where I'm aligned and where I'm not. So I do, a, I, do, I do a lot of reading, but it's typically in trying to understand why this word, if, if this word comes up multiple times, like why do we translate it this way here and this way right. here? Um, but I do all of that with the computer. So okay. all that's with software. What software are you using? Good. So I use, uh, I use a software called WordSearch, which I don't know anybody else that uses that. Okay. <laughs> I, I genuinely think what happened is back at him, like yeah. in 98 or 99, right. <clears throat> I think I got a... I got like a, an advertisement and they sent me a thing and said, hey, you should try our Bible software. And I didn't, I didn't have anything. I'd never even seen Bible software. So I signed up with them. I learned how to use their interface. I started buying books. Yeah, on um, that platform. On that platform. Right. And so over time, it's just what I've continued to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I really like it. Yeah. But it's funny because I use a Mac computer. I, I yeah. have a MacBook. And I, they don't actually have a, a great native Mac App. Inter- so yeah. so it's like it's running it's really clunky it runs okay. basically like a Microsoft or okay. like a like a what do you call it like a Windows like a Windows app yeah yeah app on yeah. the Mac and right. so it's always a little it crashes a lot and whatever okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't say anybody listening to your podcast I wouldn't go hey go buy <laughs> word search but I know how to use it yeah. and I know how to do everything, everything I want to do with right. it and so I've continued to use that's it. good and changing changing would be too painful yeah, and I, honestly, I've looked. So, like, I know, I know Baker, Rich Baker, who you've met yeah. with. I know he uses Logos. He tried to get me to switch. Yeah. I when I switch to the to the Mac, there's one called uh, Accordances. Accordance. That's the Cadillac. I, I tried Mac, to yeah. switch to that, and yeah. I just didn't. Okay. I just never. I just didn't love it. Yeah. And most of it's familiarity. You yeah. know, like once you know how to do totally. everything. Totally. You don't want to. You know, I don't want to. Yeah, I, I did. I use Accordance, and then at Fuller, they have a. Um, Greek tools class and you're supposed to teach it with Bible works and like I almost like pulled all my hair out <laughs> to right. figure out I'm like, I don't not, understand and it's not always intuitive so yeah. it really does take work uh, yeah whatever is working your software right yeah. absolutely so and I like I said I bought a lot of stuff now too so I got a pretty robust library on the computer yeah and that's um so do you feel like you have I mean you you probably are an early adopter I would I would I would tag yeah. you as an early adopter in terms of going electronic rather than paper yeah. um do you have paper commentaries, or is it everything on the computer? Uh, I only own, you know, the only paper commentary I own, like the whole setup, is the John Stott um, 
the Bible Speaks Today one. Okay. And I, I just love okay. that set. So yeah. I bought it so I could take it on the airplane with me. Yeah. You know, whatever I right. So you don't have to turn your device off. Otherwise, that's the only one. I mean, I've had people give me books here and there. Or I've even picked up books, like paper commentaries. Yeah. If I'm in an old bookstore, or yeah. occasionally, like somebody will pass away, and their wife will go, "Hey, you want to come look at my husband's library?" And I'll usually what I take out of those libraries is old commentaries. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, I don't ever take the you know James Dobson's How to Raise Your Whatever. That's not really my jam, but um, <laughs> but I do grab old commentaries. And so, in fact, yeah. I have a box of old commentaries in my closet that I just haven't even shelved yet because you know people die. Yeah, and it's like the upside. And they've got books. It is funny because I, I do think, because there's a bookstore in Ventura that I always go to when we go up and visit Kelly's family because she's from there. Uh, it's called uh, the, the Calico Cat Bookshop. Okay. And I swear they must have a line into every dead pastor, like every pastor that passes away. Really? They, their library ends up in their books, in their used bookstore. That's awesome. And so I found that. Just used bookstores. I, I went on a little used bookstore kick because I, I was trying to fill. This was before, before I figured out, hey, maybe I should get some of this stuff electronically. You're right. Um, but sometimes it's like you'll get previous volumes or pre like it's just great, um, great deals on on old commentaries basically. Yeah. So um, I love it. But I've got some stuff that, and I know that somebody is eventually is gonna have my books. Yeah. And they're gonna see. Oh yeah, this guy. This guy loved his books. Like he marked them up, right. and um, that is the one downside with electronic is you don't really have a great place right. to 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 mark it up. Right. You know, so that's a that's a drag. I do that a little with my iPad. Like yeah. if you look at my my Bible on my iPad, it is there's lots of notes and lots of yeah. you know, comments and right. whatever. But I always think like if this if I lose this if this crashes, like yeah. this is all gone. It's not in the right. cloud somewhere. Right, right, somewhere. right. I never. I actually don't mark my Bible anymore. Okay. Yeah, because um, this is funny because um, and people are like, "How dare you?" you know? It's like, what are you? but I, 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 every time I come to the Bible, I, I, I want to see it fresh. Oh, that's good. I want to see. I want to see it. I don't want to see what I saw before. Yeah, yeah. Here's I my old outline. I want to see something new, and so I won't mark in it. Yeah. But I also like you know all my notes are now on my computer yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah. I, I, I stop marking and um, yeah. But um, all right. Let me a couple last questions. Yes, just as we. You're a creative guy. Yeah. Um, and so is there anything that you do? So where do you do your best work? Like where do you, where, is there, is there anything that you do to get the creative juices flowing? Or um, how, how does that process look for you? Yeah. I do my best work on the dining room table at my house. Preferably with headphones on, but not always with music. In the... Can, can people be at home, or yeah, do you just yeah. hit the noise canceling button? Yeah, I mean, I can't, I have some good headphones, and sometimes I'll put on like I can't, I can't have lyrics. Like I right. can't, there can't be any singing, but I can put on jazz, and it, and it kind of sits in the background, or even choral music if it's like in German or something, yeah. and I don't have to, and I'm not, I don't know what they're saying. Right. Um, but most of the time, I put my headphones on just to kind of shut out ambient noise, yeah. and uh, but my kids can be there, okay. and they, you know, I mean they. I don't. I actually don't have a problem being interrupted. Um, I kind of like to know what's going on in the house, so it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't ruin my train of thought. And in fact, I'm a guy who needs. I I need to work really hard and really steady for like an hour, and then I have to I have to stop. Okay. So I play I'll play video games for an hour, or I'll get up and go to the Target and just you know I I can't. I'm not a guy who can do six hours straight. Right. I do an hour and then I take a little break and then I do an hour. Yeah. So it's like hour chunks. Um, as far as creative juices go, I, 
for me, I um, I write down a lot of stuff. So I use Evernote. Yeah. Um, as a as a as a place for me to hold on to my illustrations. Okay. I write everything down, even if I don't know how I'm going to use it. If something funny happens, if uh, if if I see something weird, if I hear an interesting story, yeah. I write it all down in Evernote. And then um, a lot of times when I'm trying to sort of get, not when it comes to the teaching, the teaching my creative juices come from what the Spirit of God's right. doing in me. Right. But when it comes to like, how do I illustrate this biblical principle in a way that would be funny or that would be captivating or that's kind of a hook people can hang their hat on, um, I'll go back to Evernote and just kind of read through all the stupid okay. stuff that's happened in the last year. How do you organize that? Um, it's literally just organized by date. Okay. So, and, and a lot, like I said, a lot of times I don't have a sense of like, like I'll give you, like I think a couple weeks ago I told a stupid story about, I was in Montana and there was this lady with this really ugly giant poodle, like pink and it had the puffy. And I was, I know I had this look of like horror on my face, but the lady looked at me and saw me and I was, I thought she'd be hurt that I was looking at her dog with this scary look. And instead she goes, would you like to pet her? And I was like, uh, I didn't know how to say no. So I just, I was like, sure. And I went over and I pet her ugly dog. When I got out of there, I wrote that immediately down in Evernote. Uh, and then a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to, I was trying to come up with a way to talk about, you know, sometimes we misread the signs. Mm. Like sometimes we misunderstood what someone's trying to communicate. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that was perfect. But I didn't, I didn't even remember that that had happened until I'm, I'm just kind of scrolling through Evernote and it says, Pink Poodle in Montana, you know, that's like the heading. And I read it and I was like, oh, there it is, you know? And then I can and then I can pull it out. So I have stories that were put in Evernote two years ago okay. that I never told. Okay. because um, they just, you know, whatever. So that's that's kind of part of the way that goes. I like to I like to illustrate out of my own life. Yeah. And out of things I personally experienced as opposed to doing the thing where I'm like, you know, in eighteen forty, right. John Henry rode on a donkey from whatever, you know, right. like that to me. That just never captivates me the way it does when somebody tells a story from their own experience. So yeah, but creatively too, I'm just in my head a lot. So I, you know, I mean, as I'm as I'm outlining, as I'm framing a sermon, as I'm thinking about how to organize it, yeah. um, there's just a constant process of. Right. I mean, there are times where I'm reorging a message during the song before I'm going to get up and preach it. <laughs> so I don't I don't give my like the tech crew here would love to have PowerPoint. They'd love to have some kind of okay. a. I don't give them anything because I say I really need to be able to flex on a dime yeah. and sometimes even in the midst of a sermon I'll feel like the spirit of God goes don't teach that last third you don't yeah. need it yeah. and I cut it or, or don't teach the first third and I'll jump right to the middle and, right. um, and none of the three services look exactly the same so huh. I'm teaching three they're similar right. but there's little nuancey things that I genuinely feel like are me trying to be discerning yeah. and sensitive to the movement of the spirit yeah. of God in the moment yeah. so. what, one last question and I, we the, sorry, I'm gonna. I don't know if we're gonna. I'm gonna chop this thing in half and do a two parter. Oh, but sorry. no, it's great. This is great. So, have you thought, or have, are you using team, like teaching team, creative yeah. team? How are you? How are you engaging that when yeah. it comes to prep and planning? Good. So I, I, um, I would love to, but right now I'm new enough here that I don't know who they are you know like I don't know who the creatives are or the people whose opinions and voices I trust got it um, if my staff listens to this I love you all and I trust you uh, I'm but, just feeling you out but you know it, ta- it takes time to figure yeah. out synergy is such a dumb word I, but it takes a while to figure out camaraderie right. and like um, so what I'm typically doing here is I'm I'm like when I'm deciding on Hebrews 
for instance, big picture. Yeah. I'm praying about it. I'm talking to my wife about it. Mm-hmm. I sort of lay the thing out. I have this vision, you know, a couple of defining sentences. This is what the overarching yeah. purpose will be. And then I'll run that past like the team leaders at the church and go, what do you think about this? And listen to them go, yeah, we like it. Or listen to them go, well, we did Hebrews a year ago. Or, you know, listen to their, whatever that dynamic is. I'll run it past our creative team. And same kind of thing. Have them go, well, how do we represent that visually? And what does that yeah. look like with, you know, and, and so I'm, t- I'm taking in the, the counsel of a bunch of other people. But at the end of the day, right now, mm-hmm. I'm making a final decision. I, I'm hoping that we get to a place yeah, what's, next year. What's the vision? Like, what, what's the end game yeah. in terms of so, what would be the ideal? So I would love to have a team of four or five people that I'm, that I'm not only having a conversation with, you know, midweek, or early in the week about this week's message, but then also the message ahead and looking at what next fall looks like. Yeah. You know that we're and that's happening in little ways, but it's not happening in a real solid way yet. I'd love to have a team that's kind of pushing some of that stuff around together. And when when I've backed off my teaching to the place where I'm at 32, 30, 30 Sundays a year, um, that would also be a great time, you know, to incorporate some of those other voices right. that are teaching regularly. It'd be great to hear their insights on even how we frame it. How do right. we break up the text? And um, so that's where I'd like to get. Yeah. But right now, I'm I'm kind of doing it only because I don't I don't know who the voices are, and uh, it just takes time to sort of yeah. figure that out. Well, Darren, this is this is a real privilege to be able at this point in your tenure here at at EV Free Fullerton to hear about your vision, your process. And I would love to. I'd love to come back in a in a in a year and just see like where. Counsel me. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> in my sorrow. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, no I'm be, honestly, I don't think so. I think that you're. I think you're ramping into a great season of ministry. I think it's awesome. And um, but just to see how you work the nuts and bolts out of team. I think team is is probably the one thing for guys who and, and women who are listening to this and are a person who steps into the pulpit. Probably the issue of team and how that works. Because everybody knows how to lock themselves in their office yeah. or wherever, or put the headphones on, and pound it out. But in terms of this collaboration, I think that's probably what a lot of people are struggling with, and how to get, how to fill in their gaps with teams. So I know we're over time, but I'll tell you ph- philosophically, like the thing that drives me is is my favorite speech in the whole Bible is in John three, and it's it's not by Jesus, it's John the Baptist, mm. and it's this moment when his disciples are stressed out because Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more people than they are, right? And John the Baptist gives this incredibly eloquent reprimand to his guys where he says, nobody receives anything except that which they receive from heaven. Like, I've told you before, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one who comes before him and rejoices as my joy is now complete. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the one who stands next to the bridegroom. I'm his friend. And I must decrease, he must increase. There's this great... Like it's it's a it's an encapsulated philosophy of ministry that says, you know what? It's not about me. It's never been about me. It's always been about you know God's going to give us some things and He's going to take some things away, and that's His choice. And we our job is just to be the best man. We get to stand at the side and watch this thing work. I think when it comes to team working really well, you just have to you have to wrap your arms around what John the Baptist is saying, and you got to go. I'm not the most important voice. I'm not the only one who understands this thing. What I have, God gave me, and if he chooses to take it away, he can. And what that does then is it it levels the playing field. Your ego goes away. You, you don't feel like you've got to hold on to your power or that you're, you've got to make sure people know you're smart or know that you're creative or whatever. You can turn loose of that and go, hey, I, I bring some things to the table, but if they're not the things that God wants to yeah. use right in this moment, no big deal. That that The humility of that and the dependence upon God... Yeah. 
is the I think that's the key to making a team work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because as long as you got egos, and that's with with pastors or teachers or whatever, that's always going to be the no. I know. Uh, Say just, it isn't so. <laughs> you just you turn loose of that, and it gets a lot. Of yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And that's I think that's why I am. I just think this is going to be a great season, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what God does through you and through your team, and what God does here on this corner thanks for Eddie B. Free Fullerton. So thanks so much for making time for oh, us. Oh, thanks for the time, and we'll we'll have to do it again. So, yeah. Cool. Right. Thanks, Greg. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Darren McWaters as much as I did. If you'd like to hear any of Darren's messages, you can go to evfreefullerton.com. There will be a link in the show notes. There's also a link in the show notes to Arizona Christian University, uh, his Bible software Word Search, and also Evernote. If you haven't used Evernote, uh, it's a great resource uh, to keep life together and notes together on all devices that you might have. Um, For the podcast, if you want to help our podcast out, one thing you can do is you can subscribe on iTunes um, and also leave a review. Click those stars and leave a review. That would be fantastic. Uh, Until then, uh, you can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, I'm having a great time doing this, Um, some fantastic conversations, and I hope that these have been helpful to you. Uh, If you'd like to connect with with me here at The Teaching Pastor, uh, you can hit me up at theteachingpastor at gmail.com, and I'd love to hear uh, what you have to say, some comments and ideas if you have any for the podcast. So got some ideas for 2018, um, but love to hear from you, uh, but we will catch you on the next Teaching Pastor Podcast. Mm-hmm.